Welcome to The Sharp Way. Yes, I'm Larry Sharp here at The Sharp Way again here in Manhattan. Thank you for joining me. If you want to join the program tonight, call in at 573-427-5463. And of course, support us. Support us at patreon.com slash sharpway. If you like what you hear tonight, which I know you will, help us out. Make that happen. And of course, always support and like our Facebook page, Instagram page, Twitter. It's all the sharp way. Tonight, I am very lucky that I have a gentleman that I met about two years ago, maybe three now. I don't remember. Two two years ago, maybe. Actually, he was running for mayor of New York City as a Democrat. He is an, a tech entrepreneur, and he's the founder of Smart Cities, which I'm sure he will uh, enlighten us about that today. It is the one, the only Michael Tolkien. How are you, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you came. Look, the the thing that gets me right away is you were a Democrat. You've told me you're no longer one. Please explain. Yeah. Um, so I I haven't really been loyal to a party in in any manifestation um throughout my life, but I decided to run for mayor uh after uh, the 2016 election to be more civically involved and to try to craft a vision for our city that I think has been missing. Did um, you think you were going to win when you ran? I mean, I know you were excited. I mean, I met you during that campaign. You were very excited. Did you believe in your heart? I got a real shot. Were you thinking, eh, I don't know. What were you thinking at the time? Yeah, I, I did it because I saw a path. Got I it. saw okay. a path to winning. I think that a lot of New Yorkers and a lot of Americans, frankly, are fed up with the lack of problem solving. Yes, And we absolutely. face such huge problems that the notion that we're not solving any of them is pretty ridiculous. And John Oliver just did a uh, show on this in his uh, last week tonight about how to filibuster, make sure that nothing happens in the Senate. It's a common concept. Yep. It's, and and it's, you know, we I, I come from the private sector. Mm-hmm. And in the private sector, we're much more efficient about things. Oh, yes, indeed. And uh, and so from that perspective, I thought, you know, if we sort of jump ahead and start laying out solutions as if we were in office, as if we were governing the city, right. and present that to the people, that we would then win enough votes to take over and, and implement those solutions. And so what, that's what we did. We made our did campaign about ideas. Because I know you had some ideas. When you and I talked back then, I was like, you're more libertarian than Democrat. I was even saying that back then. But how did the how did the public respond, right? You're saying here's these ideas, here's these concepts, here's how we actually solve something. How were New York City residents responding? Were they like, whatever, I don't care, you're crazy, oh my god, I love you? What were they saying? You know, it, it was universally positive. Mm-hmm. People were happy to hear that somebody was thinking about solutions, period. Uh, I think our particular brand of solutions, which is what I would characterize as being sort of private public collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that that spectrum varies depending on the issue, whether it needs to be a public sector approach, a private sector approach, or a hybrid of the two. Um, although I lean, you know, private in terms of uh, us uh, pursuing solutions that 
um, don't require government involvement. Sure. I sort of lean libertarian in that way. Um, so the, the response was really fantastic. And that's what kept me going. You know, there were several sure. um, uh, milestones that we hit along the way as, as, you know, someone who comes from the business world, I think about it as I would developing a product. Sure. So there are these stage gates. And at every stage, you sort of reevaluate, is this going the way we want it to go? Do we still have a path to winning? Right. And at every stage, we just kept going. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we kept on getting the validation and the the metrics that we were looking for, um, particularly online. Our mm-hmm. digital um, audience was very engaged. We had millions of, of interactions online. And so that really drove us all the way to the end. So, um, so and what now, turns out. Yeah, I was going to say, when, once it's over now, what happened to those people, right? They were excited, motivated and go, oh, my God, Tolkien's got the plan, right? Tolkien's I don't know about that. We anymore. made it very clear that we, we weren't about me. It okay. wasn't. It wasn't about Tolkien has the plan. It's okay. here's a plan. Here are our ideas. Let's do that. Let's let's implement them together. Should you have been more and, of a cult of personality? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't. I mean, Trump's that. a cult of personality. He is AOC kind of cult of personality. They've been very successful. I don't think that is the the solution. Ah, I don't okay. think that's the path to unifying the country is a cult Got of it. personality. Okay. And uh, and so what ended up happening is we were kicked out of the debates. We qualified for the debates, and then we were kicked out. And without any sort of explanation, we got a letter from the campaign finance board. You qualify for the debates and then no podium. Wow. And yeah, never before happened. We've done a bunch of research and we did a a FOIL request to get documents from the government. And sure enough, there's a paper trail of a concerted, coordinated effort on behalf of the government and the Democratic Party, frankly, to keep us out of the debates. Wow. We still got 5% of the primary and came in third. And so what that said to me is, you know what? We were onto something. Yes, absolutely. we threatened people so much that they broke the law. There's a law that mm-hmm. says you ha- if you take campaign finance funds, you have to debate your opponents. And instead of De Blasio saying, "You know what? I'm not going to take public dollars for my campaign. I'm going to give it back because I don't want to. I don't want to debate this guy." Right. Instead, he took our money mm-hmm. and still refused to debate me and used what? back channels to kick us out. Are you saying De Blasio was not an honorable <laughs> man? I oh, uh, I am shocked. I am shocked. So I'm, shocked I'm me too. And, yes. and frankly, I, I got to say, throughout the campaign, especially running as a Democrat, I was very uh, respectful of mm-hmm. the incumbent. I was not out there to vilify him or sure. tear him down. And and our campaign— Well, he was part of your party. Part Makes of our sense. party. But yes. even more than that, I think the campaign— no campaign should be about tearing down your opponent. It sure. should be about elevating ideas. Right. And so I wasn't going to waste my time or my breath talking about the incumbent— uh, and it's just unfortunate that he injected himself into the process in a way that uh, that, you know, I, I think made me question the integrity of our government and our institutions in a way that I never had before. Well, I hate that it happened to you, but I'm glad you're coming our way. So I guess it's a I have a, a mixed feelings on that. But let me give some background for the, some of the people here who, who are watching and listening. You know, New York City is the largest city in the nation. Right. About eight and a half million people, give or take. But recently it's been so bad that we're losing population. The last couple of years, New York City has actually been losing population, which has been rare. Right. Generally speaking, New York City grows as a general rule. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger because it's a place for opportunity. Right. As a general rule, people wonder how can New York City function, even though it's basically a communist state in many ways. Right. In many ways, it's very oppressive. Well, one, obviously, there's a 20 million metro person area for talent and for customers. Two, it's a mecca for talent, 
right? About one third of New York City uh, residents aren't born in, in America, and another one third aren't born in New York City. So people come to, ta- uh, to, to New York City for talent, particularly female talent. I mean, if you're looking for female talent, hard to find a better city than New York City. I mean, it's just amazing talent pool here. Um, and it's finance, right? Finance is here. But I think all of that's becoming less and less valuable because finance is moving, right? Basically because New York State crushes all new ideas. So finance is going where the ideas are going. Finance is going to California, San Francisco area, other areas like that's leaving. Um, I think the idea of having to have your talent local is not as critical as it was. Your talent can be in other areas. Um, And I think that customer base is also becoming a digital customer base, which means you don't have to have them physically here as much anymore. You add that with the oppressive ideas of how New York State, New York City have been. I think we have and an I'll, issue. I'll where, add one more, which is automation is wiping out a lot of the jobs that previously existed. Right. That's correct. Yes, absolutely. So all of this is happening to include finance jobs, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. At, at all levels, you you have people, bank tellers, being replaced by ATMs, and then you have you know people who are are coding and are developing systems that replace traders. Yes, absolutely. All uh, AI is replacing everybody. Yeah, uh, uh, in a lot of places. So how do you fix that now? I mean, you, you said you've had solutions. When I ran for governor, mine were more statewide solutions. I had a couple in New York City, but most of mine were statewide. You've got you know, some ideas for cities specific, specifically, right? New York City plus others, right? This smart cities idea is not just for New York City, correct? Yeah. So tell me give, me, some, give me some good ideas to make us feel like, you know what? There's some hope. Yeah, well, I, I think you kind of hit it on the head, which is that if you look at population uh, and, and migration uh, over the course of the last several decades and, and a lot of the research in terms of where we're headed, cities are only going to continue to grow. Right. And that's our future. That mm-hmm. is how we have chosen to live, or uh, the majority of Americans, about 82% of Americans have chosen to live in communal areas. And so from that standpoint, I think we need to reframe how we view our country. We have 82% of our people who like to live in cities. Well, let's think about a city-oriented approach to solving things like the climate crisis, like preempting and preparing for automation. Um, And so smart cities does just that. But I I want to go to one premise, though. I'm not sure people like living in cities. I'm not sure that part's true. And the reason why I say it is – you know, urbanization is one of the reasons why the, the country as a whole is shifting left. I bring it up often in my conversations. People talk about left and right, and I say the country is, as, is shifting left politically, yeah. I mean by that, right? And one of the major reasons, not the only reason, but one of the major reasons is, as you mentioned, urbanization, right? But I don't think people like to live in cities. I mean, some do, but I think many of them are doing it because it's the only place for growth. After 2008, there really wasn't any real recovery outside of cities, right? Most of it was in the cities. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's 20 cities in America account for about 80% of all new jobs. So if you're looking for new work, either you're reinventing yourself as someone who's older or starting out new as someone who's younger, a city's kind of the place to go unless like, you know, your, your dad owns or your mom owns a couple of businesses in your local community. Absolutely. You're probably going it's, to a city. It's the it's it's where economic opportunity is, and so I don't know that like is the right word, but maybe prefer or chose ah is, yes is is a better word in that you know people prefer to live in cities because that's where their economic opportunity is, even if they don't actually like it. There we it's go. Too okay. dense or too congested, and I think our challenge is to make make cities a place that people want to live that is uh, custom designed for the era in which we live. Okay. And by that, I mean, we have all these amazing technologies that are just around the corner. 
automation technologies, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, self-driving cars. We should be designing our cities to embrace those technologies to increase the quality of mm-hmm. life for the people that live in our cities. And what it, I see in New York, though, is is the forced bike lanes, right? The bike lanes that many people, I guess, if you ride a bike, good for you, I assume. But I I look at it anecdotally, and I see when I hear what you're saying, the fear pops up immediately, right? Because I think that means now when there's Mayor Tolkien, right, when that happens, he's going to come into my local neighborhood and force me to have, I don't know, uh, driverless car lanes and take away all my parking, right? Which is what I see when I look at the bike lanes in my neighborhoods today in New York City. So, you know, it's it's – it's more of a process that I advocate for, an approach, than an end solution. I have my own ideas about what the future holds based mm-hmm. on the trends that we see today and based on the technologies right. that, that exist today. But I don't really think that bike lanes are the solution. I think they are one tiny, tiny, tiny element, one tiny component of a much broader, much more comprehensive set of solutions to our shared challenges. And so when I think of the future, I think, okay, well, maybe bike lanes should be a part of that because obviously a a big part of the urban population prefers to ride Mm -hmm. bicycles to work. Uh, I think that pedestrianization is definitely a part of it and, and bringing the streets back into the public realm. Uh, I think that self-driving vehicles are part of the future. I also think that people should have the ability to move around freely, right? And the question is, how do we accommodate that? How do we accommodate that sort of personal freedom? I think. And then, how do we decide on that too, right? And how do we decide on that? That that worries me always, right? How do in eight and a half million people, right? For those of you that know, this is a very dense city, also. Right, it's very dense. It's parts of New York City where one square mile there are sixty thousand people in one square mile. Right, there's some massively dense areas. How do we decide this? Right, how do we decide whether it's a bike lane or, um, as you mentioned, where we'll make it more friendly to pedestrians? How do we decide this? Research, the same way we design any other product in the world, from your iPhone to your smartwatch to your headphones, we research the use cases and we see what what people enjoy doing. What's the path of least resistance or least friction, Mm -hmm. uh, what technologies we have at our disposal, and we integrate them into solutions that have buy-in by virtue of being uh, bred out of the research. Can you walk me through an example? Uh, Real or not real? Just walk me through an example. Of of, of an example of... Of Of that, which you just said, looking, doing some research, deciding what the right thing is, and then implementing that right thing. Even if it's something you make up, just conceptually give me, show me how that looks. Because what I see in New York City now is the second I say I want insert thing here, that's when the lobbyists come in. (laughs) That's when when either Democrats or Republicans decide it's their issue. It then becomes a wedge issue. Then they decide how crony capitalists can get their their hands on it. And then their friends get the contracts. That's what I see New York as being as the norm. Help and me and to walk you me just sort that. of loaded loaded up a bunch of, I did. of problems. Um, <laughs> I you know, the, did. The, the notion of cronyism and and crony capitalism is something that this this plan, smart cities that we are proposing, addresses as well. Mm-hmm. Which is that we need private sector 
uh, involvement that is representing the people, not okay. private interests. And today we have a private sector that's dominated by individual private interests, mm -hmm. but there's no private sector, or I shouldn't say there's no, there's no overarching private sector corporation, if you will, that is looking out for the rest of us, okay. for the people that don't own stocks or don't have ownership of these big companies. Um, so to go back to your question, I think uh, an example of that would be how we design the metro systems or the mass transit systems of the future. Okay. Today, we're making repairs. I mean, we've had a lot of trouble getting even Band-Aids put on these subways. <laughs> I know. It's, but, it's but we're making these repairs a little bit here and there. But we need to take a step back, and we need to understand how people are going to be moving around the city in the future. So we need to look at trends like automation. People are no longer going to need to go to an office space or to a retail space where they're working because now robotics have replaced those jobs. They're mm -hmm. going to be doing uh, jobs perhaps in the creative industries, which mm -hmm. is going to be a growth sector for the economy. So maybe now we have many more filmmakers and photographers and musicians and far fewer retail workers. Mm -hmm. Well, that changes the entire dynamic of the city, how people move around, where they need to move to. So let's start looking at the future use case of how people are going to need to move around the city. And that's a starting point for designing a process or designing a system around that behavior, so as opposed to saying, behavior... let's, put it, let's put the system in place and hope that everyone fits their behavior into it. So you're saying, um, I don't want to necessarily shove all my uh, subways downtown because maybe Wall Street isn't the place people are working anymore. Maybe it's an entertainment industry because people are joining bands, as you mentioned, or, or something like that, or going to the, the, uh, the common workspaces, the WeWorks of the world. Exactly. And so we have a, a change in how people move around the city and therefore a change in how we should design our systems of mobility. Um, so by way of example, we may say, you know what, point-to-point -point transit like Uber and rideshare services is a really great way of moving around the city. People love it. The problem is traffic congestion sure. and and pick up and drop off and so on and so forth. Well, if we agree that that and, – and I'm not suggesting this is the answer, but right. if there is – a solution in that, in that we really like point-to-point -point transit. Well, then let's think about a mass transit point-to-point -point system, which requires us to rethink our pick-up and drop-off areas, to rethink our, our mass transit stations, if you will. It requires us to rethink our tunnels. Maybe instead of having the mass transit system that we have today, which is the subway system, we put in underground highways and have free-roving free vehicles that are all automated on the same grid. Um, so there are things that we and, – and again, these are sort of – Yeah, I get you. Yep. Extrapolations I based idea. on yep. hypotheses. Um, I have to go to two spots here where I'm concerned. Two spots. Yep. Go. Spot number one is who's the we in decision and then who's the we in paying for it, right? Because I love the idea of underground highways. It's amazing. And the idea of, of, of driverless cars on the ground, amazing. My worry is that's a lot of money, right? Someone's going to pay for that, right? And I, I hope it could happen. Someone's going to have to pay for that. Someone's going to own it or not own it or rent it or lease it or something like that. Those are my two words. Who says, yes, we do this? And then who gets the, the check? Great, great questions. So when I refer to we, I, I, I'm typically referring to we the people. Okay. So it is all of us. Okay. We own the country and we have been left out of the conversation, right? Mm, we too vote, often. Too often. We vote and then a bunch of people get into a room and make decisions on our behalf and then you know typically do things that aren't in our best interest um, or aren't in our collective best interest. Um, so one of the, the unique aspects of the smart cities plan is that 
we want to create a corporation that is owned by the people, that functions on behalf of the people, but has the same weight and has the same uh, uh, might that any other corporation would have, whether it be Google, Alphabet, or Amazon, or Facebook. Uh, so and- the corporation is owned by the people, and is that citizens? Is that residents? Uh, people rights to vote? Who who gets a vote? Right in this in this organization. So we've we've laid out a blueprint, and in our blueprint, we have members of the 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 community, the ecosystem, which are residents or citizens of the country. Two separate um, things. Two separate things, not for me to to dictate. So ah, okay. It's so more local some, community can decide if it's citizens or residents. I think collectively, that's a discussion we need to okay. have as a country, right? Okay. You know, it touches on immigration policy. It touches on a bunch of things. And Would you accept it being more local? In other words, Queens says we want residents, but Bronx says we want citizens. Jersey says we want citizens, but, you know, Staten Island says we want residents or whatever combination. Is that in your eyes okay or no? Is that unfair? Absolutely. I think at the end of the day, we want to... We want to delegate down to the most micro level, the local level, as many decisions as possible. So we want to empower communities and empower neighborhoods with the architecture, with the economic toolkit to rebuild their communities with all the the efficiencies that the private sector currently has. Um, and we want those decisions to be made on a local level, mm-hmm. how how the economy is is distributed, how capital is allocated for investment and so on and so forth, which leads to the second part of your question, how do you pay for it? Sure. As a company, uh, we can both make money and spend money. And so I view this as being an investment, uh, meaning a mass transit system of the future is an investment in our city's infrastructure, mm-hmm. which is an investment in our future economy. And so long as we have a participation in the upside of that economy, we will benefit from making that investment. And so part of the plan is to have you know, an, a, a marketplace where we can sell goods and services. So does that mean taxpayers put the money up front and then get paid back? Is that what you're saying? Nope, we the people. So we will sell uh, basically a, a cryptocurrency. We'll, we'll develop a cryptocurrency and sell what we call savings coins. Okay. Um, just like back in the day, the war effort was funded through savings bonds. Mm, savings okay. coins direct from the people. They'll be interest-bearing, and they'll also be used to uh, to make investments in our infrastructure and the development of these businesses and services. So if I have more money, I can decide to buy more savings coins. What would you call it? Savings coins. Savings coins. I, I can buy more savings coins. But if I'm not wealthy, I don't have to buy any of them. Correct. But I still get profit? So the way the company is structured is we believe that every individual has deserves five rights, um, economic rights. In the age of automation, when there's going to be an abundance of surplus, uh, one, so we call it chief. C stands for care, H for home, I income, E education, and F freedom. And this set of companies, this confederation of private enterprises that are working on behalf of the people will generate sufficient economic surplus to distribute those, to fund and distribute those benefits. Um, how that gets done and and where the money comes from um, is, is open to discussion. So I personally believe that it should be done on a localized basis, meaning mm-hmm. dollars earned in Bronx Little Italy in, in the Bronx go back to the Bronx Little Italy community, dollars earned 
in a, a different district or neighborhood, you know, go back to that neighborhood. And so we cultivate basically these companies that are neighborhood owned as opposed to um, one overarching corporation. Aren't um, you going to, particularly in New York City, you do something like that. I liked everything you talked about. I'm being a bit of a nudge on this last piece. Here. Yeah, yeah. Because particularly in New York City, you do that, you're going to have people come to South Bronx to say, why does Upper West Side get so much? Right? And your answer, of course, is, well, they put more money in. But I'm not going to like that if I'm from the Bronx, right? Well, well, your point was you want the money that comes in to, you know, go back to the community. Right. But someone who's got more money in the Upper West Side of Manhattan is probably going to be able to put more money in than someone who lives by Yankee Stadium. Right? Sure. So I'm, I'm talking about the distribution of benefits of, of surplus. In terms of investment, I think that needs to be done on a national level across all cities and across all neighborhoods. So your neighborhood's investment should not be contingent on whether or not you were successful in terms of generating economic growth. That upfront investment in terms of your mobility infrastructure, in terms of uh, your streetscapes in terms of the new economy and our investment in the new economy. And I typically refer to the new economy as the fetch economy, food, entertainment, tech, care, and home. Um, Can you say that again? Fetch, do this one more time. The fetch economy. Mm-hmm. So it's food, entertainment, tech, care, and home. Okay. Those are the jobs of the future because those are the jobs people want to do. Mm-hmm. Everything else will be automated away with AI and robotics, but the people, the jobs people want to do will stay. We'll, we'll figure out a way to do them. And so these are jobs that are either creativity or curiosity-based or compassion-based. People like to care for each other. Um, they're emotion-based. They're emotion-based. Mm-hmm. And so from that standpoint, we need to be investing to cultivate that economy across neighborhoods. So uh, my answer to you would be in the <coughs> South Bronx, we should be developing neighborhoods that have really strong identities, that have wonderful restaurants and culture and entertainment that are representative of the people who live there. And, and we should have mobility infrastructure that allows others to visit and, and spend money there. Mm -hmm. Um, And in doing that, we sort of cultivate these local ecosystems where there's money coming in, money being redistributed to the neighborhood, all of whom share in the, uh, the, the boon of economic growth. I love it. Well, guys, if you actually want to get, join the program, please make sure you give a, give us a call five, seven, three, Four two seven five four six three, and of course support if you like what we're doing what we're talking about go to patreon.com slash sharpway we have a call we have uh laura from north carolina laura how are you i'm good how are you i'm coughing for some reason but i'm okay otherwise <laughs> oh i'm glad yes so what's um, going on i have a question about automation okay so um you guys were talking about like machines replacing storefronts. Yeah. And I understand people being replaced in factories, but I'm thinking about when I go, when I go shopping, I love interacting with people at Mm -hmm. the store. And if you have machines at the store, why don't I just stay home and buy it off the computer? Isn't that going to hurt the economy in the long front? You know, like, it's a good have question. you thought about that? Michael, you want to touch that? Sure. It's a great question. I think at the end of the day, we're going to see an evolution of the economy. It's not that all high-touch retail is going to go away. We may have boutique stores or department stores that do have human labor and people who enjoy doing that. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have the ability 
to uh, to do a job that exists today that you enjoy, even if it can be automated in the future. And so I would say, you know, the an example that comes to mind would be bookstores. You can buy all your books online. You can even get them. You can get eBooks, and yet there are still books uh, or bookstores rather uh, out there, and um, and they're just a little bit. Um, uh, uh, there, there are fewer of them than there used to be. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if that 100% answers your question, but I think that there's definitely room for high touch retail <gasps> environments. When I talk about trends, I talk about sort of the general uh, movement away from high touch retail environments. Well, there's something else here to think about too, right? If you look at malls as an example today, it, when I was a kid, a mall was almost always anchored by some type of large department store, right? Um, a Sears or a Nordstrom's or something like that was the, the norm. Now often the norm is some form of, as you mentioned, entertainment, right? It's a Dave & Buster's or it's, a, it's a, a water park or it's something like that, right? As a general rule, retail is shifting, I think. If you want to be successful in retail, as a general rule, you have to have one of three things or a combination. One, you have to be an experience, Right, the Apple Store is an experience, right? Dave and Buster's is an experience, right? Chuck E. Cheese is an experience, <laughs> right? You've got to be something to where I can experience something. A movie, right, is an experience. Um, something like that. That people will go to. It's a destination spot, good retail. Second, you got to have it to where it's a showroom, right? Where mm-hmm. you find a lot of uh, smart uh, stores now are they're not stocking everything in every size. And, I mean, sorry, in every color. They stock every size. Then you have an iPad or something and they press the button and go, this will be delivered to your home tomorrow morning, free shipping. So it becomes a showroom, right? That becomes valuable also. And a third thing you find is something that you, it's really hard to get online. So something like haircuts, nail salons, tough to get your nails done over the, over the internet, right? Real tough. So, so those types of things I think you'll still see. But I think to Michael's point, you know, for those of us who still want to go, there will be something there. But if you look at the younger generation, many of them don't want to go shopping. Many of them are completely happy doing everything online. Many of them don't actually want to get a customer service rep. And it's a cultural problem that we have now because guys my age, we expect when we call someone that someone's going to answer the phone and say, hi, my name is Bob. How can I help you? Not press one if you blah, blah, blah. Press two if blah. we don't want to hear that, right? But some of the youngsters, they don't even want to call. They only want to go online, do the chat or press the button, and they're satisfied. There really is, I think, a cultural shift also that we have to deal with. I don't think it'll go away either, to be clear. I just think it'll shift into one of those three as the norm. Not easy to get online some type of experience or some form of showroom. I think it's right. a really good way of framing it. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you like shopping and interacting with people. What you find lots of people who like that doing is they do it online. And this may sound crazy, but um, if you look at some of the most popular games that kids play online now, they're social games. Right? When I, yeah. was, a, when I was a kid playing video games and I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and we had video games, but usually you played either by yourself or with the kid who came over who physically sat next to you and we both had joysticks and we played a game together. And that was the only way to play video games. There was no other way. Now you find people who play video games with friends who they've never seen in person. It's mm-hmm. all done online, right? Or my daughters, one of my daughters is 15, the other one is nine. My nine-year-old will see her friend in school 
and then leave school and play video games together online, right, on their tablets for hours, right? During the summertime, they were playing for hours, right? So they play together. My daughter and I will play video games together online in the same room, right? We're literally sitting at a dinner table at a dinner table, and we both have a tablet, and we're playing a video game together talking about the video game, right? I remember my, my daughter when she was younger, my oldest daughter when she was younger, I saw her watching YouTube, and she was watching some guy watch someone else play a video game. I want to say it again. She was watching someone <laughs> else watch someone play a video game. And I asked her, I said, why, why are you doing it? I'm curious, why? And she said, when the guy is talking about the video game, I feel like he's talking to me. So I feel like we're watching the video game together. That to me was like, ah, that's community for kids. That's something I would never have done as a kid, right? I thought that's stupid. I would have never done as a kid, but that becomes the norm. I don't know. Did I, did we answer your question, Laura? Did did we dodge too much? Uh, No, it it makes sense. We have to figure out what they can't do, what the computers can't do, and then do that. Absolutely. Uh, Well, I think, you know, that's a great point, which is make the assumption that the computers and the robots can do anything. Um, that anything we, we can program, they can do. So it's just a matter of time, right? Whether it's five years out, 10 years out, or 50 years out, assume that at, at some point we'll be able to automate it away. What are the things that we actually want to do? And I think that's really what you're getting at. There are people out there who want to sell you something in person. And there are people who want to be sold something in person. And it's just going to be a smaller portion of the overall economy. Well, yeah. And I, I look at the, the way I look at that is, is bands, right? For most people, you can you can if you want to listen to most music electronically. You don't have to have someone sit in front of you and play guitar. Not required. Great example. Right? But man, people love going to concerts and festivals and watching people play music. And we don't have to. You can literally watch those people on YouTube or press a button and the music comes out of your iPad or your phone or your insert thing here, your car, whatever. You don't have to. Yeah. What's interesting is but we do. You're not going to have an automated Broadway. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And even though you literally could, like someone could animate Broadway and you could have a completely computerized Broadway. And I think Broadway is a great example of how, you know, we have movies, right? Movies in many ways replaced uh, live theater. Yeah. And and yet live theater still thrives. It's yes. just a smaller portion of the overall entertainment economy. And uh, just to go back to what you were saying about live concerts, I think what you end up seeing is that just like with live theater, technology augments the experience. So mm-hmm. now you have these huge jumbotrons. And most people, when they go to a concert, aren't looking at the stage. They're right. looking at the jumbotron. <laughs> yes. Um, but they're there for the social experience, for yes. everything else that you can't, all the intangibles that you can't possibly replicate digitally or electronically. It's funny you said that. It's one of the reasons, a little off topic, but it's one of the reasons why I like boxing. And you might say, well, why would I like boxing? How's this match? I was never really a massive boxing fan. But boxing, a lot of my friends liked boxing. So we would get together to watch a boxing match. I didn't care about the boxing match. I cared about the experience of hanging out with my friends, right? Boxing was an excuse to hang out with my buddies. So I'd go and hang out with my buddies and watch boxing. And I want, now I'm a big boxing fan. But I didn't start that way. I just I was hanging out with my buddies. So we were hanging out. It was an excuse to be together. I didn't care who won the match. I couldn't even name the, the people who were boxing. But I, I bet that's the same for almost everyone with every sports team, every <laughs> yes. fan ever, right? Like, why do people become fans? Exactly. It's for the social interaction. Absolutely. So great. Thank you for calling, Laura. I appreciate it. 
Thank you. Awesome. All right, guys, look, if you like what you're hearing, do us a favor, support us and follow us on all of our social media. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. The Sharp Way, we're trying to bring something important and valuable, real conversations with people who have real issues to make some real impact. And of course, we need you to support us financially. This is not free at all. Patreon.com slash Sharpway. Give whatever you can. If you want to be part of the program, give us a call. 573-427-5463. I want to grab another call if I could. It's Craig. How are you, Craig? Craig, are you there? Yes. Hey, what's going on, my friend? How are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. What's going on? Oh, just giving you a call. I heard Michael, Michael is his name, right? Yes. That you have on tonight? Yes, Michael Yes, Tolkien. Michael. I heard him talking about um, what was going on as far as kind of redistributing with his plans for um, an employee-owned cooperatives, it sounded like, for business and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't, it I sounded didn't know like it he, was that. It's good, though. Go ahead, keep going. <clears throat> well, you guys were just talking about it. It sounded yep. like... You you brought up the the situation where oh well Manhattan is going to be a little more nice <laughs> maybe yes. than the Bronx right they're going to have more cool things right so then it would be the federal government's job to step in and kind of level the playing field um, is what it sounded like Michael was saying I was just wondering if you could expound on that like no, who I gets to that. decide who who does that you know who who has that power that's a great question so Michael are you talking about basically employee owned corporations and if one corporation is worse than the other, does the federal government come in to do this? So um, not employee-owned, but I think a co-op is an interesting uh, template to, to, or, or paradigm to think about. Uh, it's it's resident-owned. Okay. Um, and so as we think about on a national scale, it's nation-owned, nation-owned okay. enterprises. And when I say nation-owned, not government-owned, people-owned. Um, so totally independent of government. Our plan has zero government inter- intervention or interaction. It's all designed to address the challenges, the twin challenges of our day, which are automation and climate change, um, to address those two challenges without requiring any government involvement. And so to answer your question about um, wealth distribution, uh, I don't think about wealth distribution so much as um, investment distribution and making sure that we are adequately investing in the infrastructure of our cities universally. And I don't think that one city should come at the expense of another. I think wherever there are there are people, you have the potential for economic growth. It's formulaic. The more we invest in our infrastructure alongside our people, the more economic output we'll get in the future. And um, and so from that standpoint, I, I take a much longer term view, which is um, how do we set the table in every single neighborhood, not necessarily the same table. So I don't want to this notion of uh, homogeneity um, to 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 pervade the plan, but the if if we give people the inputs into developing a healthy economy, they will go and they will take care of their own and they will take care of themselves. And um, and so from that standpoint, there needs to be a vehicle to fund the investment in every single neighborhood in America. Uh, and that's what we plan to do with smart cities. Did I answer your question, Craig, or no? Um, I guess I'm just not quite familiar enough with what smart cities is. I mean, I think I'm grasping at that as, as sort of the business and the, it's owned cooperatively by the community. And then profits from that go into your infrastructure, which is totally separate from government by the sounds of it. 
that that that's exactly right. And so we, I, I continue to refer to smart cities. We put out a white paper, which um, I'm sure we can link to afterward. Uh, but on a on a national scale, so if, so that's on a local level. On a national scale, the way to think about it is a confederation of private enterprises that are collectively operating on behalf of the people for the common good. So I do have a concern, right? If if you're in New York City, two two concerns now with this. Number one, culture, just a cultural concern, right? In New York City, we have a very transient population, right? People live in a certain area for literally you know three months and leave. And in the same community where I've got people who are living for three months and bailing, I got people who've been there for 30 years, right? And everything in between. I have people who speak different languages, come from different countries, all of that. So my my worry is how do we manage who owns what, if that makes any sense, right? Who gets back what, whatever that is, with that much turnover? I mean, companies have trouble figuring this out, right? And now we're talking about a, a county like Queens that has 2.1, I think, million people in it, something like that. Brooklyn has, what, 2.3 million? It's a massive endeavor, right? It's a concern. Um, and the second part of that is, you know, how do I then shift the culture of we don't do that like government does that? Just not logically, right? Logically, anyone could do the thing, right? right. I'm saying the culture of, no, that's not what government does that, right? We, we call de Blasio and he then brings his people to do this thing, whatever this thing is. How do we make that culture shift on top of it? I think we're just going to need to get there by necessity. Uh, you know, we're just not seeing the kind of change and problem solving that we need coming from the government. And no matter how much effort is is being uh, put into nudging them in the right direction. Um, and so, you know, to, to your question about culture and, and how we sort of manage these things on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis, I would say, you know, this company or set of companies will operate just like any other set of companies, just like Amazon or or Alphabet, or Microsoft. These are trillion-dollar or near-trillion-dollar companies. They're very, very big and very um, um, complicated in their structures. And yet the private sector has actually given us a lot of best practices that we can utilize with our own private corporation, mm -hmm. in quotes. Um, so do we then elect a chairman of the board and we elect a CEO? Is that how that works? Does so, someone select a CEO? Is, it, is there an election? Like like the you know pr the president or the uh, the mayor exactly so we our process um, as articulated in the white paper which again is is a blueprint mm -hmm. uh, is that members would vote uh, in, in, on a a board of directors the board of directors will be responsible for selecting executives across our enterprises of the people mm -hmm. and. Um, and at any moment, we can have a, uh, a, a new referendum. Okay. And the idea is that we want to empower people directly, direct democracy, as much as possible to make these kinds of critical decisions and get things like healthcare and infrastructure out of the hands of bureaucrats and politicians, people who are not necessarily operating with the clearest minds, mm -hmm. um, and, and put it directly in, in the hands of the people. So, Craig, did he answer your question? I like all of these things. I like all of these things. My only question is, how are you going to do it? How are you going to get the government to let you do it? That was my next. He, that, he, you, were, you were thinking the way I was thinking, Craig. This sounds like a competition, and monopolies do not like competition. That is a, a great yeah. point, and, and the only way we're going to do it is by doing it. 
Um, that's one of, one of the reasons why <laughs> we're not going through a think tank and we're not going and developing philosophy. We're, this is a very concrete plan. It's nine pages, so anyone can understand it. And uh, we just published it last week, and we're going to be evangelizing it across the country. Thanks. We'll be evangelizing it across the country. And, um, and the more support we get, the more public pressure there, there is on the government to allow us to do these things. And when I say allow us, we're no different from any other company. So anything that Alphabet's doing today, we can do. Anything that Amazon's doing today, we can do. Uh, the question is, when we talk about things like mass transit infrastructure, which is completely government run, mm -hmm. well, the best way to get around that is to put together a plan with financing that the community supports. And when I say the community in New York City, it's the New York City community. It's, right. it's the city overall. If we can do those things and we take it to the government, they're going to have a really hard time shooting it down. And that's, you know, the way many in many cases, the private sector has worked, right? They come with a plan. They come with the, their renderings and their financing models and so on and so forth. And they get stuff done. So you look at Diller Park on the west side. Mm -hmm. Barry Diller wanted to fund this park, came with the renderings, had some trouble. He still got it through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see it. My, my, I guess along with what Craig is saying. I mean, New York City's budget, if I'm not mistaken, is about, what, $95 billion or, or something like that? It's some huge number like that. Am, am I about right, $95 yeah. billion? It's in that area. That I mean, that's larger than countries, right? I mean, it's a huge budget. If now we're going to say we need smart cities and we need these corporations to do stuff, two parts. One, aren't I literally saying while we're throwing a lot of money away, if we have to spend $95 billion and we still require smart cities, right? We still need this, this plan. Wow. And not just that, $95 billion in New York City, there's a lot of people who make their money off New York City. That's very true. A and lot of people make their living I'll, off New York City. I'll, I'll go back to my first statement, which is that the economy is changing. It's changing faster than, than we realize. And it's going to change faster than at any point ever in history. This will be the fastest industrial revolution that humanity has ever faced. So do you think and that literally the, the New York City government will be like, wow, we are not ready for this at all. Um, we're laying off 40,000 people like that. Is that what you're saying? Like that amount of speed? Like, wow, we can't do this. You're all fired. Is that is that the type of thing you're talking about? Uh, I don't. I don't know that that's going to happen in the public sector because there are more levers that the public sector can mm -hmm. pull to to navigate that. I think it is going to happen in the private sector. I think okay. you're going to see mass layoffs in the private sector seemingly overnight, and that's my biggest concern: is that we're not preparing adequately for this transition. And there's no way that you know the the portion of the population that's currently in jobs that will be automated away, about 45% of the population, that those people are all going to be retrained overnight for new jobs. It's just not going to happen. So we need to be thinking about social safety net programs. We need to be thinking about uh, how we distribute income so that I, I believe it's a human right at this point in modern civilization, you deserve an income to pay for food, clothing, essentials. And Therefore, we need to figure out a way to distribute income fairly. Our plan has a universal basic income component to it. Um, and so to answer your question on a long-term basis, yeah, I want to cut government. I want to cut your taxes down to as close to zero as possible. And, uh, and we want to replace that with a program that is universal basic income plus free health care, plus free housing if you need it, or affordable housing, um, and plus free education. And we should be able That's to- That's a massive thing you just threw at me just there. 
You just went that's smart cities. <laughs> I know that's a lot. You threw a lot at me on that one. Well, that's chief, right? It's care, home, income, education, freedom. I I know I love it. I'm just saying you were like, we're gonna do this thing, and now everything is free. That's awesome. Well, and here's a check. I love it. That's amazing. Um, not everything, just the ingredients to live. <laughs> okay, you're right. Gotcha. Just most things. Just most things. I love it. No, <laughs> I I think it's 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 actually important to you know when when I talk about AmeriCoin, our proprietary um, cryptocurrency. Um, that will be the mechanism to distribute income, which will be usable at the enterprises that we own. So we're not distributing U.S. dollars where you can go and take it to the private sector and somebody else is making money off of our universal basic in- income program. Our basic income program is a fully enclosed program, meaning uh, every dollar that comes in will be spent at one of our merchants. So your, your UBI is not cash. It's, it's, it's a form of cash. That's not usable in 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 the private sector broadly. Wow! Now now I'm torn, right? Because part of me loves that idea. There's a part of me that goes, "That's amazing," because we're not we're not giving taxpayer dollars out, right? So that part I love. But then not being able to put the money into the economy makes me feel like, don't I want to put money into the? So I'm kind of torn on this one. If you, help if help you, me get through this one. So okay, great. So let's let's just use an example. If you say, you know what, I really want more than just the food and clothing and, and essentials and whatever I can get at USA Enterprises, at this you know collective of, of companies, get a job. Okay. Get a job, earn an income the old-fashioned way, and you will have your disposable income to pay for things in the private sector. Um, but I don't think that we should be subsidizing the private sector when there's so much need that, needs, that, that has yet to be met. So I'm, I'm kind of creating, if I get this right, an entirely separate ecosystem. Correct. Right. So almost a separate economy. Exactly. A separate economy and a separate government. Correct. So we have the regular government. We have this, the regular economy. Then we have the – what you call the USA what? I'm sorry? USA, enterprises. USA Enterprises economy and the USA Enterprise government. Correct. We have two governments. And when you say the USA Enterprises government, it's really a thin layer, right? It's the people and then the folks that are managing these enterprises. Um, which will be hand-selected for their expertise, knowledge, and abilities, not voted on based on popularity. So who selects them? Hold on, wait a minute. I, th- I thought yeah, this was direct democracy. I thought so this was direct under, democracy. Under, under our plan, we select a, a board. A smart, the Smart Cities board is selected by or voted on by the members, and then that board is responsible for selecting. Executives. Oh, I see. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So it's like a company would do it. Exactly. Same idea. Okay. Gotcha. But exactly so- the same, except instead of the investors voting on it on the basis of their, their ownership. Got it. Members vote equally. Got it. Oh, okay. That's, that's actually a better plan. I got you. So it, it would be as if the Senate wasn't actually the Senate, but instead it selected people to run the government. Correct. Got it. Okay. So different, different mindset. Okay. Interesting. All right. Craig, are you good? I'm good. I, I expected to call in and be angry, but um, I'm happy. <laughs> there we go. See, Michael, you did it, man. Whew. Tolkien has the answers. I love it. It's awesome. It is true. All right. Craig, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, guys, if you want to join our program, 573-427-5463. And as always, please, if you like what you're hearing, support us. Patreon.com slash sharp way and of course always like us on instagram twitter uh facebook youtube we're here and of course patreon 
All right. Well, look, he gave me some serious questions and the idea of a, a almost almost like a second government. This also makes me feel that while I, I like the idea, I do. I worry that the current government is going to be like, OK, look, this Michael guy's got to go. I mean, they already tried to stop you here locally. Yep. Right. So maybe there's some goons outside right now, the studio, ready to, ready to, you're a criminal. <laughs> maybe that's about ready to happen now. But I mean, seriously, maybe, I mean, but I, you know I, what? I'm joking, of, but I'm also serious. I'm both. Yeah. I, there's nothing illegal or impractical about what we've proposed because there are companies already doing it, right? Google and Facebook and Apple and Amazon, these are massive companies that are essentially governments and right. they're developing their own cities. You know, Alphabet is developing a city in Toronto, Sidewalk Labs. Uh, or, or uh, Sidewalk Toronto is the name of the city. Um, and, and all the big tech companies are thinking about the future of cities. So in many ways, there's already precedent and there's already a paradigm. We are now taking what the private sector has created and saying, you know what? You guys did a pretty good job of it. You did a pretty good job of creating these mass corporations that are you know, uh, capable of being their own governments. We're going to replicate that on behalf of the people. And the net effect of this is that we're actually applying the, the, uh, the, the sentiment of, of free market principle to government. We're mm -hmm. saying, look, yes, we are a competing government in some ways. We are going to take over some of the functions that you typically associate with municipal governance. Mm -hmm. That puts pressure on government to do a better job. Sure. No, no. I love the breaking of monopoly piece, right? When I was running for governor, one of my biggest pieces was I wasn't about abolishing a bunch of stuff. I was about creating, you know, secondary options people choose so that either government gets better or government becomes obsolete. Exactly. Either one I'm okay with, right? Either one is fine. But the government is still there for people who say, I don't want to try Larry Sharp's newfangled thing. I want to stay in the old way. I don't want to make a change. So the safety net isn't removed, right? And I feel like you're doing a similar thing in this case. Yeah. It, it, we're, we're trying to put forward the best system, irrespective of what exists today, working around, you know, whatever challenges exist. But, you know, the beauty of the American economy is that it is a free market economy, that anyone should be able to do anything. And in theory. That, in theory. <laughs> yes. And... Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately, we've had too many bad actors take over mm -hmm. the the system, and we don't have enough good actors acting on behalf of the rest of the people. That's really, at, at the end of the day, if you have a free market system and you have a population that is empowered, that population should take care of itself. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So, look, when we put all this together, how does this then translate into other international things, right? Does does this local city Amer with the Ameri Americoin? Americoin, yeah. Americoin. You know, can foreign governments be involved in this? Can they buy the Americoin and invest in New York City or invest in Toronto? Or what that would be, be America. Invest in Boston. Or is this only again residents slash citizens the only ones who can invest? No, I, this is a currency that is like any other crypto. It would be open to all investors, and in theory, yes, foreign governments could you know invest in our infrastructure. There's no, I, I don't see much conflict of interest in terms of others helping us to get back on our feet again. Because um, in reality, the voting is still the same, right? So even if I have a bazillion Americoin. I still get one vote if I live in Queens. Exactly. Doesn't matter how many Americoin I happen to purchase or own. Exactly. And so, and I can use it internally. Exactly. Okay. 
last piece in this specific but i want to go back to that international piece real quick which is that i also view this as being a a foundation for much deeper economic collaboration so i think americoin is a starting point there's no reason why other countries other other uh cities can't adopt their own version of that using the same platform using the same underlying blockchain and technology um to create something similar in in their areas and so what works in the u.s should export it should work it should scale to other cities as well so now even the dollar is going to be in trouble everyone's, <laughs> going, to be, everyone's going to be using americoin for the new uh the new way of buying oil now see there we go well i, so. I think it taps into a trend that a, a lot of uh, uh people have been spending a lot of time studying which is this notion of digital currencies and and borderless currencies and moving away from fiat-based currencies but yeah i think that we need to be having these conversations hmm. okay good all right so the other piece though the last piece of, of this world is this is all about cities i love it our rural areas are suffering. Is there an answer in this plan for smart cities that helps the people, you know, who are farmers, who want to be, who want to live in more rural areas, and not just farmers, but people who don't want, who've said, I know, you know, rural life is tough, but I like rural life. And I'm going to live there even if it's tough because I don't want to live in a city, even though there's more opportunity in the city. Is, the, is there part of this plan that helps that part of America? Absolutely. Um, the same rights, chief, apply to everyone. So I, I believe every American deserves care, a home, income, education, and freedom. And the question is, what's your, your nearest city? Um, whatever your nearest big city is or your nearest city, um, that will be the source of, of your income. But everyone should be taken care of under this plan. So does that mean that in the long run, cities will not be as valuable? Because if I can live anywhere, right, as long as I'm connected with my closest city, right, maybe Omaha is the biggest city next to me, but I want to live 100 miles outside of Omaha, 150 miles outside of Omaha. If I still get my my cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. maybe I leave Omaha. Maybe Omaha becomes a small town and everyone Freedom of mobility. I, I believe in that. I believe that people should be free to move around and to explore new places, whether it's on a temporary basis, travel, or on a permanent basis. I think that is a luxury that is today, uh, you know, uh, something that most people can't afford. They can't afford to travel the world. They can't afford to live in multiple cities or, you know, over the course of many years, multiple cities. Um, so if that's something people want to do and we can empower that, great. And we should design our cities around it. So one of the other aspects of our plan um, is a nationwide network of high-speed trains and hyperloops so that we connect all cities in the contiguous U.S. in under five hours. That's the goal is to get is, is a transit system that you that links all of our cities in under five city in, in under five hours this is a i mean this is decades or no a decade it's um, a decade it's a decade worth of massive massive investment in our infrastructure but it's one that i think will be um will yield tremendous economic benefits with with a current deficit i'm sorry deficit i'm sorry uh debt of $22 trillion. How do you get America to decide to do that? How do you get America to say, yep, you know what? Let's go into debt uh, with, with, with 
literally we're bombing, what, six or seven countries now, something like that, with foreign wars still going on. How do you get America to focus inward like this? I mean, we have literally a bunch of wedge issues that are all distraction, look over there, while this is collapsing around us, Mm -hmm. right? I think your point's a valid one. How do I get people? I mean, again, this makes sense. I like the concepts, right? I like the conversations. But then how do I get Americans to actually sit down and go, you know what? Let me sit at my dinner table and talk to my family about this. So I, I think part of it is is having these kinds of conversations and evangelizing the concept. This all falls under smart cities, by the way. So this this would be an, an investment that is is not coming from the U.S. government and is not coming from U.S. taxpayers. It's coming from smart cities as a corporation. Okay. And the idea is very simply that if you believe in these ideas, then maybe shop less at Amazon and shop more at USA Enterprises, at the, the public option for whatever goods and services you're going to buy, right? And so we begin to allow people or empower people to vote with their dollars every single day. Or their coins. Or their coins. <laughs> yes, exactly. their dollars or their coins. Okay, I got it. All right, let me see if I'm on the phone call if I could. We have Jeremiah. Jeremiah, how are you, my friend? Please, what's going on this evening? Go ahead. Jeremiah, are you there? Yes, sir. Um, I want big fan, Larry. Um, Thank want you. To know, and maybe you've already discussed this before, um, but the concept of company scrip. Um, this was something that happened back with miners and loggers and everything else. Why is it going to work this time? Okay, can you explain how it didn't work with loggers? In the past? Oh, geez. That's, yeah, that's really going back. Um, Can you give me an overview? It was, oh, geez, not readily. Okay. I've, I just looked into this um, because it sounded very familiar. I couldn't even remember what it was called, but I know that it was a failed system where these miners basically felt trapped and, you know, the old song, uh, 16 tons. You know, you get a broken back and you get some company money right. that you can't do anything with. Mm, I see. So you're 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 saying if we start doing this, then it becomes almost to a situation to where the pe- people become trapped and they can only use the AmeriCoin and USA Enterprises piece. And if that's a bad system, then they're screwed because they won't be able to really get into the other system. It almost the system itself traps them. Right. Yes. So the only way to get over to U.S. currency, you know, national currency, would be to use an exchange rate. Mm-hmm. They would probably be losing a lot of that currency. So eventually, they're just broke. No, I see what you're saying. It's it's funny. There was a there was a I, I can't remember the name of the book, but I think it came out in the '80s. I think it's a it's a Robert Heinlein book, and it was and it was a a book about the future. And in the future, um, all people are corporate people. Right. And they all have ranks in this future. Right. You're a rank seven or you're a rank 12 or you're a rank so and so. And you didn't actually own anything. What happened was because you were a rank so and so, you had the benefits of a rank so and so. So because you and it was futuristic stuff like they knew because of your eyes or whatever, you were this certain thing and you were able to, well, because I'm rank 11, I get the better hotel and I now have X dollars I can spend. I get the cool car. And then once the person made a a horrible error and was fired, they basically had nothing because all they had was what was in the system of the company. 
So once the person was fired from the company, they had nothing. I think this is the kind of thing you talk about. If 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 I if the system itself is bad or I leave the system, I'm in trouble. A- a- am I kind of right on this, Jeremiah? Yeah, yeah. So okay. One, th- one thing I'll clarify about our our plan is that our companies will operate just like any other company. So employees of the companies will be paid in U.S. dollars in local currency. Mm. Um, so it's not like if you work, you're only going to get paid in Americoin. It's it's universal basic income. It's the income that's free. Mm-hmm. That's Americoin. But we're not about replacing the entire system uh, and, and forcing people into a closed ecosystem. I think that the private sector should flourish. If we're successful, the, fr- the private sector should also be successful. So the idea is my UBI – now, everyone gets UBI, right, in this, in this scenario, right? Correct. So even if I'm making a killing because I'm such an awesome consultant and I'm making so much money, I still get my AmeriCoin anyway, right? Correct. So what if I don't want my AmeriCoin, right? I get my AmeriCoin, but I'm doing fine, and I'm my U.S. dollars are, are fine for me. I don't want my AmeriCoin. Can, do I sell my AmeriCoin for American dollars? Is, as Jeremiah said, do, do I, is there an exchange rate? Is that what happens? Um, do I, does it just sit in my account? And until one day when I – that's my retirement when I'm 65, is, is that what happens? Or – do I say, you know, Jeremiah is my buddy. I love him. I'm going to give him my AmeriCoin. Is that what happens? It's a great question. I think it's it, it merits much further conversation. Um, and I think there these are the kinds of things that are, are really helpful to elevate these kinds of um, potential issues or reasons. You know, I always ask people, why why is this going to fail? Mm-hmm. Why is it going to you know fall apart? And the more we have those conversations, the better off we'll be in designing a system that works around them. Um, I. In this specific instance, if you yep. don't need the coins, um, that that's a, a question that I think as a society we need to think about. Okay, if somebody doesn't need something, do they still get it? Can they sell it? Do they get the benefit of it even though they don't need the utility of it? Um, and, uh, and who and decides I, need? And who decides, it decides right. need? I think that's more of a collective conversation. Um, again, this is the blueprint. It's the starting point. Let's have the conversation um, my my initial reaction, though, is that it's our our Americoins are designed to cover your needs or mm-hmm. to make sure that you are not left without anything. So if you are living in abundance, I would think that most people would agree those those Americoins that value should be redistributed in the ecosystem. Maybe we invest it in further infrastructure. Maybe we you know develop. Uh, a new type of experience that you know eventually you'll 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 want to pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're putting those dollars to work as opposed to having that value just sitting in a bank account somewhere. I guess the other thing now that I think about this, do you remember? Did you happen to see the movie a couple years back, maybe last year? Ready Player One. You... I didn't see it, but I know it. Okay, yeah. the in in the movie, and and you may like this, Jeremiah, if you're still on the line. You may like this. Uh, what happens in the movie is there's a bunch of people who. Basically, in their life, they don't really work. Their entire goal in life is to live in a real, a, virtu- a virtual reality, right? And they all have avatars, and they go out of their way to take any money they get to buy cool stuff for the avatars, right? So I'm not going to buy a new car. I'm going to buy an avatar car, right? I'm not going to buy a real house. I'm going to live like in a – literally in a slum. I'm going to buy a cool avatar house because I spend most of my time in the the, the reality world, Right? And it made me realize that this is what could happen easily if we do any form of UBI. 
you have a UBI where, again, in AmeriCoin, and let's say, for example, I'm making this up completely, everyone gets 500 AmeriCoin per month. That's the amount we decided is the right amount to cover Chief, right? Whatever that is. That, that's the amount in our, in our fictitious scenario. Well, I want that 500 AmeriCoin. I'm Corporation Larry Sharp. I'm not even in that ecosystem. I'm outside of it, right? But I want that because I can get it because mm-hmm. anyone can get AmeriCoin, right? So I want it. So I want the AmeriCoin. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create an environment to where my goal is just getting your 500 AmeriCoin, keeping you quiet and just give me, giving me the AmeriCoin. So maybe I create something to where, you know, I'll be a, a payday loan guy or insert thing here where I keep getting that money and then either I trade it in the black market if there is a black market or I just trade it openly, right? I do the I, – I, I start grabbing my 500 uh, AmeriCoin from everybody and then I just start selling it all back to make cash. Is there a, is there a, a realistic fear that there may be predatory people on the outside of this system who just want to get that 500 bucks? Sure, and I think that you know, by oh, example, we we could we could have a non transfer process uh, policy, right? You can't transfer points, can't transfer Americoins. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way to get around it. Um, where you know, if we're giving you a uh, a currency so that you can support yourself, you're not going to then not support yourself and and work out some you know, or, or gamble with it and, and do something else. Um, and those are the kinds of of um, of, of procedures and protocols that we need to put in place, what exactly the unintended cons- consequences are, I'm not sure yet. And that's, that's why that is my concern, right? My in, concern is in writing. I will, I will throw the money away is option one. Um, there'll be predators who will take that money from me in some way that they'll dupe me into taking that money. Right. Or the last thing is, am I creating an underclass? Right. For example, Am I correct? And I think we see that now with with a certain uh, class level of people who are on public assistance, right? And I I, I brought this up before when when I used to sell cars. This is twenty years ago. I used to sell cars, sell Hondas, and when people would come in to buy Hondas, you could tell their social status by the questions they asked, right? People who have a higher social status would often ask questions like, "What's the interest rate? How much does the car cost? Right? What's the warranty on the car?" People of lower social status would often just say things like, what's the monthly note? That's it. Can I pay for this thing every month with my current dollars coming in? That's it. That was the only concern they had. They didn't ask how much the car cost, whether it was a lease, whether they would have ownership at the end. Not even a question. It was just, what's the monthly note? My word becomes the same concept, right? That's a group of people who are purposefully – I think because the system, not because of them, the system purposely has made them to where they're ignorant, mm-hmm. right? They, they're, we've made them so that they're ignorant. Please don't ask these questions. Shh, shh. Take your check. Be quiet. Don't ask questions. Does a UBI in this case run the risk of creating that second class citizenry, right? Where all the poor people, insert whatever, how we want to decide poor, right? They use AmeriCoin, but us cool rich people we use dollars, right? right? And, and therefore, think, all the poor people only get poor people service. They get the bad service. Right. And but, and I think that, that you hit on a really important point, which is that the quality of our goods and services should be top notch. I mean, we, we're, we're not going to sacrifice quality just because we're the public option. And when you change that dynamic where people are willing to pay 
whether it's with U.S. dollars or AmeriCoin, they're they're willing to pay for these goods and services because of their quality. Um, then I think we change the dynamic of how people are treated when they're using these coins. And I also think it's worth mentioning that our existing system is inadequate, meaning yes. we don't do enough in terms of the of, of building out a social safety net. And the result of that is people are alive. They're not dead, but they don't have all of the resources that one needs to thrive in the modern society, in, in modern civilization. And well, that's so our goal. goal is that with, with our UBI, it's just one component. It's not the only component. Mm-hmm. It's one of a suite of solutions that collectively ensure that every person has everything they need to pursue their passion and live a dream, right? So it, as long as they, going back to your point about ignorance, mm-hmm. If they have their universal basic income and they have access to free education, vocational training, vocational programming so that they can go pursue a passion and they have access to universal health care and they have access to affordable or free housing if they need it, they're going to go and invest in their own lives. They're going to go pursue a dream. That's the goal is to enable why, that. Why do you make that leap? I got you all the way to they're going to. I think if you actually look at, at that argument, there is a reverse argument. And I believe the there was a book. Um, Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book. I forgot which one it was. I think it was called David's and Goliath or something like that. And he made the argument that the reverse is true, that when people have things against them, that's when they actually thrive, right? When when someone is, you know, um, ha- has a problem, it's when they actually decide to fix it and go do something. But when you give them a lot, they tend to do nothing. That was his his kind of a piece of his book. I'm really paraphrasing, but I remember that concept of you know you want to have you want to be in trouble so that that motivates you to go off and do good things. When you're doing too well, you don't really do much. You're, you know, I'll just play one, one more Netflix, one more, one more season of you know, Dexter. I think, I think there's a balance. And, you know, having been fortunate in my life, I, I would say that, you know, privileged people are still driven in many cases, in many instances. Not everyone. Sure, of course. Plenty of people, they get the handouts and they're perfectly fine and they live their life. And guess what? Those are great consumers. Mm-hmm. So we want them in our economy because sure. they're going to consume our goods and services. But there are plenty of us that want more and yearn for something. And but would you yearn for something whether you got the chief or not? And and, and I'm only I'm – only, I'm giving you a little bit of pushback yeah, on the yeah, idea no, that I'm, I'm, because someone – what I heard, maybe it's not what you said. What I heard was if you give people chief, more of them will excel. More of them will want to excel. I actually – I'm I, not sure that's I think accurate. it's fair to, to criticize because I, I generalized and I said everyone um, or, or made the, the leap that if you give people the ingredients to live a life, they'll go pursue a dream. And that's not 100% true. There are plenty of people, if you give them what they need – that's they're perfectly fine. <laughs> yes, like, they're absolutely. totally fine. Yes, um, but I think on average, particularly when you talk to young people, people who are just starting out into the world, um, into the real world, mm-hmm. they they do have dreams, they do have aspirations, and what's so sad actually is that because of the state of affairs today, with our economy in particular, but with our political system, with our social class structure, and so on and so forth, so many people have either given up on their dream yeah. or never allowed themselves to dream. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the notion of the American dream, which is really at the heart of our country, of, sure. our, of our our founding, sure. is something that we need to bring back. And that's what this is all about, 
it's really designed to empower the the country and the world to dream again. Good, Jeremiah. Did I did that answer your question? Yeah, it just seems the main concern I have is you're either going to take a percentage of my U.S. currency pay to give me this standard pay, and you know, so whatever happens with that happens. Or it's going to be extra on top. And if it's extra on top, that means that your companies are going to be paying somebody else U.S. currency to provide me a service in exchange for my basic in- income. Yes, that's true. So so then it's just going to cost a company more money. And we're already seeing companies struggle with the $15 they're having to pay now. Oh, I see. No, that's a whole different side. So what he's saying is uh, – thank you, Jeremy. I'm so, I'm so glad you're in the line. Thank you. Um, so if, if I get this, the second piece, right, which he's saying, if the employees of the Amer- USA enterprise are getting U.S. dollars, mm-hmm. but the income into the U.S. enterprise is AmeriCoin, there's a problem. Uh, right? Well, because the revenue is in AmeriCoin, but they're paying out in U.S. dollars. So there's revenue. So when, when someone buys, when we give someone AmeriCoin and they give it back to us, that's not revenue. Um, when you buy an AmeriCoin, that's revenue. So ah, we're getting U.S. dollars every time you buy an AmeriCoin. Okay, that that so that so there still has to be investment pieces here. Exactly. So we're basically bonding our way to success. Exactly. Okay. So that, that, that is that clearer, Jeremiah? Oh, we lost him. Okay. So I, I hope that answered your question, Jeremiah. I hope it did. Yes. So yeah. So we're basically we're bonding our way to success. And hopefully we make enough profit to where we can pay back all the bonds and then we'll be fine. Exactly. That's the concept. That's okay, the concept. that's that's clear. That that because I see where Jeremiah was going with that. So okay. like an analogy would be a, a hotel or or airline miles points program, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're issuing points, you're giving it back to them. Um, when they get points back, that's not revenue. Right. Right. I gotcha. Okay. Or you could, if you wanted to, spend U.S. dollars or exactly. whatever, if you wanted to, because you like this service or you prefer this product or something, assuming that the USA Enterprises would have quality products and or services. And, th- and that's the goal, is that let's just take a, a, a small example with USA Studios, a film and entertainment studio. Well, we're going to be putting out entertainment content on our own streaming channel, just like any other streaming channel, just like Netflix or Hulu. It's going to be high-quality content because we're going to work with the highest-quality talent. So what's it called again? USA what? Studios. USA Studios. So USA Studios and chill. And chill. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I got it. Good. Okay. Perfect. We're going to USA Studios and chill. I love it. Yes. Um, so we uh, – so people will spend money for high-quality content, and there's no reason why we can't, we can't rally the country and tap into our, our greatest resource, right, the intellectual capacity of our people to generate really great stories and really great film and entertainment that collectively generates profit on behalf of the people. There are many talented actors and writers and directors that are either not working or are working for essentially private interests, are mm-hmm. working for individual studios that have a very small set of the population sure. as their ownership. So let me do two parts of that. The first one is, can we, I feel like it's very easy to just opt out, right? Look, I I don't care about this USA thing, so I'm going to go do my own thing. I feel like this is easy to opt out. Am I missing something? Or is it forced? In other words, do I have to vote? Do I have to be an owner? Do I have to say I'm a resident, therefore I'm a member? Or can I go, you know what? That's for you guys. 
I'm doing my own thing. I believe in personal freedom. So if that is your prerogative, meaning you don't want to have anything to do with this, totally fine. Okay. Second piece. Can there be more than one? Absolutely. Can there be USA Enterprises and can there be American Enterprises, right? Can there be two of them, like the National Football League and the American Football League? Can there be two can there be two corporations or two enterprises or two overarching things? And there's the AmeriCoin and the USA coin. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to the the point you made earlier about free market systems and and free trade and whatnot. At the end of the day, I I hope we do a good enough job such that there's not there's no need for a competitor. But the notion of having this free enterprise structure is that if we don't deliver on the promise, somebody else can come in and deliver on that promise. And the net effect of this entire plan is hopefully that all of our private sector companies, especially the mega corporations, the big tech companies, all of which now are, are almost at a trillion dollar or have, have broken a trillion dollar, dollar valuation, that they're going to elevate themselves and do mm-hmm. a better job. They're going to take care of the citizenry and the neighborhoods in which they do business because they need to to compete because right. that's going to be the new standard. Right. If they don't, then we go to USA Enterprises. Exactly. And if USA Enterprises is weak, then we go to American Enterprises exactly. or whatever the case may be. Somebody else will come up with something, something better, and that's the beauty of the American model. That should always be the case. This is radical. It is a bit radical, and yet at the same time, it's – it's really stringing together best practices from the private sector into a plan that we can all rally around. There's nothing new in this. Okay. Um, of, of the people you've been talking to this, uh, talking about this, in general, what's the response? Uh, the response has been really positive. I, I have yet, you know, we, it's a, a working white paper, if you will. So sure. as we get feedback, we'll integrate, we'll update, we'll address. Um, and if anyone listening has questions or comments, we'd love to hear them. Do you um, have a place they can go to go look at this? Absolutely. It's on Twitter at Smart Cities US. Um, it's primarily where the dialogue is taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'll send you a link after. Maybe sure. you can post it. Um, and, uh, and so the feedback has been primarily one of, like, like today, digesting. Mm-hmm. What is this about? How does it all work? How do the components work? Um, there are some more sophisticated elements that we haven't really gotten gotten into in terms of developing a new blockchain, which will be sort of the digital infrastructure, the digital architecture uh, upon which all of this um, is built. Uh, and so I think there's a bit of an education uh, curve. But uh, at the end of the day, we're trying to respect and preserve personal freedom in a world that is dominated by corporations. And so it's sort of a very simple concept, which is if you can't beat them, join them. Mm, and okay. we are joining the, the corporations of the world um, by giving the people a, a seat at the table. Have you spoken to any active people who are like, you know, running people who are elected officials and at, about this at all? No. Why not? Reached out. I'll let you know when I hear back. Ah, they, they're not talking to you yet. Correct. Got it. No, it makes sense. This is scary for them. This I think is scary that, for them. you know, it shouldn't be. It is because mm-hmm. it's new. Yep. Uh, but, you know, when you look at a plan like Bernie Sanders' $16 trillion Green New Deal, which doesn't really have uh, – it, it, I, I appreciate its intentions. I don't necessarily agree with 100% of the plan. You compare it to something that's much lower cost, that doesn't require us to elect anyone, doesn't require us to go through the government. It's like, well, no matter what you think of a Green New Deal, 
that is government run and government sponsored, if you believe in that, if you believe that threat is real, you should totally jump on board with our plan because we can get started today. Mm-hmm. There's nothing blocking us from getting started, from working together to create good products and services, to sell those products and services, and to use the proceeds to invest in our infrastructure and in our people. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about investing in the future. And you ask any young person, they feel like a, an entire generation has been left behind, that I we hear haven't that adequately yep. invested in their future. I hear that completely. And this is why I think so many people – the reason why – I, I, I like the concept of this. Again, I haven't checked the nuts and bolts. Yep. But is that it feels good. And that sounds silly, but it matters, right? One of the reasons why – and I was talking to um, uh, the Wolf von Leyer who – he runs uh, Students for Liberty. He's, he he he's, uh, heads that, that uh, organization. And I asked him about the youth and I said, you know, how do you get the young – who tend to be very much about socialism and Bernie and, you know, how do you get them to care about personal freedom or liberty? How do you do that? And he brought up a very important point. He said, Larry, they really aren't about socialism. That's not really what they're about. What they're about is what they believe is fair, what they believe is right and and good. They've just been told their entire life the only way to get there is through government and through socialism. So they can't even imagine something that could become good or fair that isn't government or isn't socialism. When they're educated and you show them, look, you can get fair without government. Look, you can get good without government. And and the flip side, actually, which is, look, you can get really bad with government. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that part, I think, is missed by most Americans. It's not just a, a generation of Americans. I think most Americans have not felt you know, what it's like to be in an authoritarian state. And you always run the danger of some form of dictatorship when you centralize that much power. Absolutely. Yes. Agreed. I, I think the average youngster doesn't see that at all. Yeah. Right. It's a blind just, spot. They just don't see it. It's, it's some, and it's not only do they not see it, they can't even imagine even happening. It's foreign to them, right? That, that's something you see in a movie, right? But that doesn't happen here because we're super cool and special. Right. So uh, I think they don't see that. But there's another aspect to it is you, you have a generation – that has in many ways been controlled, right, compared to the younger generations, right? You hear all the time, when I was a kid, you know, they just threw me outside and said, come back, you know, at six or whatever. Well, that's, a, a, well, that's an old man joke, right? It's still based on reality. Right? If you're my age, I'm, I'm over 50, right? If you're in my, in my age range, you didn't have play dates. You didn't have organized much at all. It was really just... Why are you here? Go outside and play, right? <laughs> Dinner's at six. See you then. And that was a common thing for most people in my generation. Not all, but for most in my generation, that's kind of what you did. And as we move towards younger generations, that's going away and going away and going away. And I find it even with my daughters, right? It It's very hard for my daughters to just play. It's almost always a play date, or a play thing, or an organizational thing, or with parents included. It's hard to just, you know, go play pickup basketball or something, right? Where when I was a kid, you still knocked on someone's door and said, hey, can Jimmy come out to play? That was a thing you still did. Now it's very rare. So I think a lot of uh, people who are now under 30 grew up in that more controlled environment. And I think they're more okay with that idea of things can be structured and rules are normal, Versus me, where I'm like, rules are because I don't get caught. Right? That, that right. was it, right? That was, the, that was the issue. Do you think I'm wrong here? 
I I think uh, well an alternative hypothesis is that it's an entire generation that has been more coordinated. Mm-hmm. So before you had the cell phone, before you had texting, it was hard to schedule a meeting mm, or an event. Good it's point. Like, it was hard to make a plan. Yep. Um, good point. So it was easier to be like, oh, go out and play. Come back at six, right? And it's like I don't have to worry about you for that that number of hours. Right. Um, today you're available all the time. You're mm-hmm. accessible. So it's like, yeah, you can go from two to three, but then check in with me. Right. Because you can. And I want I want that level of coordination. So I'd say that perhaps it's a it's a social issue in terms of rules and structure. I think there may be a technological element to it as well that's driving that behavior. Mm, I see. So maybe it's it's not just that the parents did or the, the parents couldn't. Right. Exactly. Right. The parents couldn't. A, a different a different environment. Oh, could be. It's interesting. So the, the do you see your generation? You're you're, you're thirty. Thirty four. Thirty four. So I got a couple years on you. <laughs> so um, do you see the the thirty four? So I guess it makes you an older millennial. Is that is that where you are? I think I'm the first year millennial. So I'll turn thirty five next year. Okay. I was born in eighty five. So, so I think we're like the official starting point to the to millennial generation. Gotcha. So the you're like oldest. The, so you're like the king of the millennials. <laughs> I've just decided. I've, I've given you that title all of a sudden. All right, sweet. So so now being king of millennials, um, do you think that they are going to be more apt to this plan? Or less. In other words, this is for someone like me. It sounds radical. For someone like them, is it radical, or is it whatevs, or is it awesome? Uh, the response has been awesome, and why not? Like, what what are we missing here? Why hasn't this happened? Why aren't we doing it? Um, and I think that's generally it's sort of like this is so obvious and such a great opportunity for us all to work together on what we know we all want. Um, and go through a different channel to do it. And it, it's just, it's a, it, it's one of these things that it hasn't existed, an alternative to government that allows you to do large scale projects on a national level. Um, you know, there, there are projects that are done on a national level, sure. but they're all bite-sized piecemeal. There's no overarching organization other than government that has that much clout on a national basis. Now with these mega corporations, there are different apparatuses, but at the end of the day, I think most young people, and I would include the millennial generation as part of that sort of characterization. Young people are so hungry for change and hungry for positive um, uh, 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 transformation, uh, social justice, economic fairness. And, you know, one of the things that is probably more important to a young person than to an older person is climate destruction, mm-hmm. because we are going to have to live with the effects of that for the rest of our lives. So, so you, let's go down that road. I think people are, you, are thinking about. You mentioned that. You said that this can also help with climate change. Yeah. Right? And the, and the damage of climate change. Oh, did he just wave at me? Okay, no, he wasn't waving at me. Thought, thought someone was waving at me. So, yeah. So how does this plan do that? Right? How – this to me seems – like there's a part of me and it's going to sound horrible when I say it, but there's a part of me that just says, all right, look, we've screwed this up. Let's just accept that 20 years from now we're losing Miami, right? There's a part of me that says that, right? Like it's just, it's over, right? We're not going to fix this. The coast is gone, right? It's fine. We do like 20 years. We'll, we'll move inland. The mountains are nice, right? That, that there's a part of me that says, I'm joking a bit, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a part of me that's almost given up, right? And there's a part of me that's like, no, we can still fix this. I'm torn on this to be forward with you. There's a part of me that's like, it is what it is, man. We'll just have to figure it out when, when, when the floods come. We're gonna have to build some levees. And this apartment that says, "No, no, no, we can still fix this." How does this deal with that issue? 
so I just look at the data, right? And fortunately, we do have a lot of data and we do have ex expert-driven research that is um, is telling us that we have levers that we can be pulling. And if we have those levers and they're going away, I say, let's definitely, you know, uh, uh, put together a plan to avoid many of the, the potential issues that we're going to be facing in the not too distant future. And so this plan is addresses two things, which is the, the changes associated with automating the economy and making sure that we sustain a fair economy. And then the second piece of it is as we're retooling, reconfiguring our economy from the bottom up and building all this new infrastructure, we're doing so with 100% green technologies. So renewable energy sources, efficient uh, use of energy, uh, efficient distribution of energy, and, and so on and so forth. So it's an opportunity for us. We, we have this great you know, 10, 20 year period where there's gonna be rapid transformation of the economy due to automation. Let's also use that as an opportunity to rewire our economy for a sustainable future. Well, you know, it's it, there's two things in this. The the first one is, you know, it, it, I I'm a student of history, and there's one advantage of having everything destroyed in your country, nation, city, town. When you rebuild it, it's all brand new, right? Everything else about having it destroyed sucks. That's the one good thing, right? And we learned this in Germany and Japan after World War II. We bombed those countries into oblivion. And when they built new, they built rebuilt everything, it was brand new. They actually they had better, they, yeah, they had better factories than we had. They had better technology than we had because our stuff was from the twenties and thirties. Theirs was from the forties and fifties. Theirs was brand new, right? They had 20, 30 years on us. So they had new everything, right? Newer skyscrapers, newer factories, all those things. Where's the destruction here, right? Well, like, how, how do we rebuild? You know, the New York City subway system, which is over 100 years old, right? Not that I want it to be destroyed. But if you're in, you know, London or where it was bombed or if you're in Germany where it was bombed, you're going to have to rebuild it because it was physically destroyed. So you're going to rebuild it. We don't have that. Where is that? Exactly. And and I think, you know, you're right. In in world, If we had had a world war here in, in the States – it would the country would look very different. We would have rebuilt it very differently. You would you would have had some form of a centralized planning apparatus, a long term strategic plan for the country, which we really don't have today. What we're saying is, let's do that. Let's go through that exercise. Let's act as if everything's been destroyed because everything we have is old and obsolete. I'm not, I'm generalizing, right? Not yeah. everything, but for the most part. Look. So let's act as if our entire country has been demolished and. Develop a plan that's comprehensive, that covers everyone, and that is 50 years out. So you're being even more radical now. Sure. I, I'm I, serious. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it's not an insult. It's just you're, being, you're now saying, look, everything sucks. Scrap it. Is what you're basically saying, right? I'm let's, saying let's not everything sucks, this. but let's, let's develop a plan where mm -hmm. we can take some of the existing components. We can say, you know what? There's an amazing subway system in New York City, and we love it, and we don't want it to change I don't think most people would say that. But no, most wouldn't if, say that at all. If they no. did say that, we could <laughs> yes. say that's that's a great best best example, and we want to integrate that into the long term twenty fifty vision. Well, that doesn't take away from the fact that we need a twenty fifty vision and we need a twenty fifty plan, and we're not going to get there if we don't have a vision or a plan. All right, so I get that. So we don't have the first problem is we we don't have the 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 bombed out things. So you're going to have to deal with that issue. The second piece is. 
why, and this is going to sound silly, why in the world would I rebuild it with all green technology? It's a whole lot cheaper to not do it that way. And I'm a business, right? I mean, I'm a business, right? The USA Enterprises is still a company. So why would I build it with new green technology when the old technology might be cheaper to build it that way or do that thing? Why would I? Economic-wide basis, long-term, it'll be much, much cheaper for us to build a clean and efficient economy. Long-term, yes. But I'm worried about this quarter. I'm a company. I'm worried about this year. I'm a company. I'm worried about making my numbers. Well, fortunately, USA Enterprises will have a board of directors that represents us and represents what we want. Now, if we're a nation that thinks short term only and we're only concerned about the next quarter and that's how we want our companies to operate on our behalf, then that will unfortunately be what happens. Mm, I don't think most people think that way. I think most people are like, no, let's this is America. Let's swing for the fences. Let's really build something that is world class. And let's do that in every single aspect of our of our lives. Let's have the best healthcare system. Let's have the best mass transit system that's nationwide that connects every city. Um, but we need to start working toward a plan and and start locking in that plan so that we're all working off of the same plan. Um, I, I find that our politics very much resembles exactly what you're saying, which mm-hmm. is quarter to quarter, year to year. Well, and we're election not really cycle to ahead. election cycle. Election cycle to election sure. cycle. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. And all I care about is raising enough money to get my next election. I think it's very common. You, you see it when, when the people leave office. That's when they tell the truth. I'm not running again. Here's all the dirt. <laughs> right? You get all the dirt when someone's not running anymore. But when they're running, it's quiet and we just – I only care about my next election cycle. So I, 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 I get where you're going. I worry about the climate change piece because I think you still have an, enough people in the country who just don't care, who just think – it's fine. We're going to have some kind of magic technology to make this work when the time comes, right? I remember – I remember uh, – what movie was it? it was, it's some World War II movie. I'm, I'm in World War II today all of a sudden. It's some World War II movie and um, I think it was – I think it was a movie called uh, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich and it was about Albert Speer. It's about him. And at the end of the war in 45 or so, Speer is, is trying to escape Berlin. He's trying to escape and get away. And there are citizens who know him and they're saying, hey, what are we doing? What are we doing? He's like, we're out of here. War's over, right? And there were still people saying, but I thought Hitler had the super weapons. The Russians are advancing. The Americans are – the war's over, right? Right. And there are still citizens going, but what about the super weapons that are going to win us the war still? You know, it's like April of 45, a month before Hitler kills himself, right? And the citizens are still like, but the super weapons. I worry there's a part of us who are like that. And I get right? that. That and are like, no, the super weapons are going to be here any minute, right? And then the climate change is, is solved. And um, I think that's where real leadership comes in is, is being able to guide the entire country toward a future that's sustainable, even when we don't 100% see the effects of climate change or climate destruction uh, in our day-to-day lives. And that's why it's such a hard sell to in, in an election to make that your your core issue to make climate change. I think the governor the of Washington deal. State found that. Yeah. He found that insul is ins I forgot the guy's name now. I'm sorry, the, the governor of Washington who was running for governor was running for president. Um I forgot ins whatever that guy's whatever that guy's name is. Um but yeah, I'm, I don't I'm remember like either. But exactly, right? And he was he was the green candidate and gone, right? The he had something cool like the Green New Deal, which now AOC has and I mean that's working. 
with that in mind, does it make sense or not in pushing this concept to scrap the climate change piece? Because that's not required for this. This well, it, idea can still work without the climate. I'm not saying you should. I'm just asking a serious question, right? Is if, if someone were to say, I'm on board, right? yeah, but I don't want to talk about the climate change. Let's, let's, let's not talk about that. that for the sake of argument, let's forget about that piece. We'll talk about that later. Are you, yeah, let's do it. Or you're like, no, that's, that's the integral part. Uh, it's, it's totally part and parcel of the plan overall. Um, so it's impossible to not acknowledge that piece of it because when you're reconfiguring the entire economy, you got to think about, okay, where are we getting our energy from? Mm -hmm. So the most basic question is, where's the energy coming from? Oh, well, we're going to have to cultivate new sources of energy. No, we use coal. So that's I'm where, kidding. No, no, no. But, but <laughs> yes. that's where the yes. conversation like sort of breaks down is, well, if we're going to rebuild a sustainable economy and we're going to be doing it from the ground up, then let's go to the latest, greatest technology. And frankly, let's listen to the experts. Let's listen to the people who research and study this every single day of their lives who are, who are able to inform us better than we can inform ourselves about what the, the extrapolation looks like, what what 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years out looks like on the basis of the actions we take today. And so, you know, going back to the very first topic that we were talking about in terms of how do you design uh, spaces, places around sure. people, I think this is a perfect example. Let's listen to the researchers. Let's listen to the experts. And if they're telling us that fossil fuels are going to destroy our planet, well, that's an existential crisis. That's one that's worth planning around. But there's, there is a natural resistance i think in america to experts there's a natural like well the experts said this and they were wrong or the experts said that and they were wrong. and sometimes that's true experts are humans they're, they're wrong also yeah. right but i think there is an issue of once you start going to experts you have the idea of now the elites run things right these are the elites they run things right this is the fear that a lot of Americans already have, right? The, the, the East Coast or West Coast elites run everything, right? That's the worry you hear often. One of the reasons why Trump was able to be so popular in the Midwest, right? One of the there are many reasons, but one of the reasons was you know, the coastal elites run everything, right? So that it's their fault, right? That's why it's all bad. I think that's a, a really fair point. Um, and it's one of those things that culturally we're going to need to change. We're going to need to be less skeptical of each other and more understanding of each other. And, and I think for a variety of reasons, like I've grown up in a completely competitive culture where capitalism has turned into competition in every way, shape and form. I, from the moment I was born, I was part of this game mm -hmm. and it's a, a you got to work to make a living. We all are part of the same game. Sure. Um, when we start to change the culture and we say, look, there's no more game. You can afford to live your life without working. You're going to be able to get food and essentials and to have a home and to uh, and, and to have healthcare without having to work. Well, then people are going to be, uh, I think, more willing to listen to the other side, more understanding of different points of view and more willing to listen to people that actually study these things as opposed to, you know, just manufacture ideas or manufacture statements um, on the daily. So well, uh, when you the way you just put that. What I what I heard was, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. So listen to me. Is that accurate, or did I hear that wrong? I, I if you heard it that way, I misspoke. Um, I I think that 
we are we are um because if looking... I'm getting my living from USA Enterprises mm-hmm. um I guess the question is do I also get my living from from the government too right do I also get my my uh you know my my public assistance check also on my EBT do I get that also I don't know if I do or not but right that but then does that mean that whatever USA Enterprises says I go yes boss so do no, I do I, that? I, I think that when I when I'm talking, I, I, it's not me as a person. Like I am just one person mm-hmm. within smart cities. Sure, but the goal is that smart cities is representative of the public that we Got are it. electing a board. So don't listen to me, Michael. But if the board that we've all collectively elected has done the research and they've prepared documentation and they and and it's been uh, reviewed. And released and published, I, I would say yes. I think as a as a country, we need to be able to believe again in mm-hmm. each other and believe in you know people who are are spending their waking days studying these things. Okay, I get it. All right. Well, look, guys, if you if you like what you hear, if you think it's great and awesome, do us a favor, please support us. Head over to Patreon.com/slash. Sharp way and give what you can give. If you can do nine bucks, if you can do 40 something bucks, awesome. If, you, if you're in a spot where you can do 100 bucks, do it. This is what I'm trying to achieve giving us some good conversations and hopefully drawing more people over to the Liberty side. So, doing that, too, of course, yes, absolutely doing bringing more and more people over. Um, so, do that if you can. In addition, please like us, follow us, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. All of them. The Sharp Way. It's right. I want to say, Michael, anything you want to say before we end this? No, thank you so much for having uh, having me on. And if anyone's interested in reading about Smart Cities, we'll, we'll publish a link to the white paper. Awesome. I appreciate it. Guys, I want to say thank you so much for this evening. I'm very happy that you were able to join me. I will see you all next week here on The Sharp Way. <laughs>